Hello and welcome to this, the latest edition of the Tez International Podcast. My name is Ed Dorrell, I'm Head of Content here at Tez, and I'm delighted to be joined today by Liz Free, who's Director of the International Leadership Academy at the British School in the Netherlands. Hello, Liz. Hello, Ed, and I'm equally excited. Good. <laughs> Let's do it. It's so great that you're here. Flown in, well, not especially, actually, but you just flew in this morning. All, all for you, Ed, all for you. <laughs> That's what we like to hear, and our listeners, of course. <laughs> um, Liz, tell me, how did you come to be Director of the International Leadership Academy? Well, it's like all things, it's, these are long stories. But the short version um, is I'm a primary teacher from background and trained uh, in Wales and had my first headship in Wales. And then uh, I went off on an international adventure uh, and headed out to the States and was head at the British School of Boston, uh, head of primary at the British School of Boston in Massachusetts and then vice principal. So I then ended up coming back to the UK uh, as a head and then um, specialised in professional learning and development. That's kind of my research background as a head. So I went to Oxford for a little while, um, Oxford University Press, and did that for five years. And then a friend, like all good friends, sent me a job advert. And, and it, the job was they wanted somebody to set up an international leadership academy, which would be a professional learning and development centre for international school staff um, across Europe and specifically for the British school in the Netherlands. Um, it's not the sort of job that you think, you know, you think on your wish list that that's what you want to do. It never even occurred to me. And, and it's based in The Hague. And I wasn't really sure where The Hague was. I knew where Amsterdam was. Uh, so, so I looked at it. I thought this is the dream job. And it is. <laughs> so uh, what is it? What, what do you do and what is the International Leadership Academy? Tell so me more. It is brilliant. Uh, so I get to spend every single day uh, working with teachers and school leaders who are working in international schools, predominantly in Europe, as well as our own school, um, the British School in the Netherlands, which is a, a group of five schools. And we work with about two and a half thousand of those staff every year. And we look at how can we... Um, support them and help them develop to develop their practice in whatever it is that they're doing and so we offer a range of different programs and all kinds of support networks teacher training all kinds of different things so tell me um is there really a need for an international um spin on teacher training yeah so i mean literally teaching is teaching right Teaching is teaching. And like all teaching, you always adapt it to the situation that you're in yeah. and the students that you're, you serve. And so in the international sector, what frequently happened in Europe up to that point is we're so close to the UK. I mean, this morning I flew in from Rotterdam and it was about 37 minutes. Um, yeah. British Airways put their foot down. and <laughs> We got here pretty quickly into London City. And so it's very easy for um, teachers, British teachers working internationally to just fly back to London or parts of the UK for training. Mm -hmm. But of course, working in an international school is different. You, you don't have Ofsted. Yep. You don't have those drivers. Hallelujah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that is true. Well, it is true. Yep. And, the, and the difference is, is that, that that kind of compliance structure is not there. The real focus in, is in creating outstanding environments and outstanding teaching and learning. And so when you take away some of these compliance aspects, you, it just frees up your ability to be able to teach. And so when we fly teachers back to the UK, you know, you might be doing like, I don't know, a national professional qualification in headship. Some of that content will be great mm -hmm. and will be helpful, but it's not specifically aimed at the context that you have where you have those freedoms. And of course, what comes with freedoms is responsibilities. Yep. And so you need to be able to discern how do you make decisions? You know, how do you, um, uh, how do you maintain and increase quality of teaching and learning in your schools and so those are the sorts of conversations that are subtly different so an example for us would be 
we take the core of the national professional qualifications mm -hmm. for middle leaders, senior leaders and headship. Actually, we just started that a few weeks ago. And we um, deliver the core program, but we offer an additional 10 plus hours into the program where we weave in the international component. Okay. So we And we only use international school leaders um, who've been trained. In this case, we work with the IOE. And okay. so they, we work collaboratively, but the content is absolutely tailored for the context of our, our staff in our schools in Europe. And I think it should be the same whether you're in the UK and you're in a particular type of school group or wherever you are in the world. We should make sure that when we're developing our staff, it is absolutely meeting their needs. And, and it is about the job they're going to be doing, right? Absolutely, yeah. Well, something you just said was really interesting to me. Um, and I've been talking to international school leaders now for about, well, I mean, for a long time, but in a concentrated <laughs> way for about eight months. And one of the things that I find really interesting, and I'd just like to expand on what you said, you can expand on what you said, it is this tension between freedom uh, and um, autonomy and how um, school leaders in the right international schools have enormous amount of freedom. And in some cases, it can lead to a kind of a, an amazing burst of creativity yeah. and innovation. Yeah. And in some cases, it can lead to so well, uh, <laughs> I mean, worse, coasting, really. Or, or worse. Or, or indeed yeah. worse, yeah. yeah. So it's part of, part of your training programme then to try and avoid, <laughs> to try and make sure you get more of the first and less of the second. Yeah, it's about trying to understand the systems that you're operating in. Yeah. And so that can be different curricula. You know, we have a lot of British international teachers working with IB, for example, yeah. all the way through. And, you know, how has their training prepared them for that? Yeah. And so we do um, work in that kind of uh, field. But I, I think this is also raises another question, um, which I'm going to kind of push it a little bit differently, is the idea of accreditation of international schools. Yeah. is how do we know what the standards are? How do our parents know what, what a British school is? I mean, what is a British school? Well, absolutely. I mean, is it a British curriculum? <laughs> is it A-levels? Uh, you know, what are we talking it, about? Is it a British star? Just a British head? Yeah. Um, is it for-profit, not-for-profit? Millions of questions, Yeah, right? and, and how difficult is that to navigate? There's no such thing as a British school. And when we start to think about we can think about curricula, we can think about, um, uh, you know, a lot of parents think if it's got the name British in it, that it's authorised by the Department for Education in the UK. And it is not. And no. so this is really important, and particularly uh, for people, you know, people in the profession, if they're thinking of moving internationally, is how do you discern which school you go to? Yeah. You know, how do you know that it's a high quality school that is putting children at the heart of everything that they do? And so, you know, I was just doing some research before I came in, actually, you know, there are currently over 70 um, accredited accreditation organisations and school associations across the world. 70. How are you supposed to, how would you navigate that? I mean, in the British system, we do have several big players. You've got COBIS, Fobseer, you know, um, uh, BSME. BSME. Yeah. So there are some, some really strong um, organisations. But only 28% of international schools are currently in those accredited yeah. bodies 28 percent. so what about the rest and so one of the things that we do in our system is that we are the british school in the netherlands we are an accredited school we are bso's so that's british schools overseas um uh standards that we are also we are um uh inspected that's the yep. word isn't it? i was examined <laughs> we could be examined as well yeah. inspected against those so so we have that kind of qa um underneath the provision that we offer and the great thing about that is that that then means that there's a the dfe here in england 
knows the quality of our school. And then we're able to do certain things. We can offer the NQT induction program. Yeah. Uh, we're, we can offer MPQ programs. So I, I think there, there's definitely a place for us to really start working internationally to try and put in more... Um, we don't want Ofsted. No. <laughs> Let's not replicate no, international no, no, no. Ofsted. But we do need some kind of, you know, what, what is, when we're talking about British schools that are offering um, a British style curriculum, when we use that language, that's exactly the same as it would mean in yeah. England. An English yeah. style education can mean all the different things that you can get in your different models. But we offer, and the most important thing about that is that we offer English examinations. That's really the big distinguisher if we're looking at... So um, not the IB, then? Not the IB, necessarily. Um, in our school group, we are the British school in the Netherlands, like I said, and we offer English curriculum throughout, with uh, interwoven with an international dimension. But our examination structure is, you know, we're looking at GCSEs, we're looking at A-levels, and we also do offer, interestingly, we do have an IB route as well, okay. at, at um, diploma level and certificate level. Um, because we're a large group, uh, we you can, can we it. can afford to do that, yeah. and it means we give greater choice to our families and our students. Um, but I think that's the distinguisher. We also predominantly um, recruit British qualified teachers, yep. which is brilliant because it's fabulous. Um, <laughs> but it's problematic for the future. <laughs> yes. Well, one of the things we talked about before you, before I hit record was uh, was this interesting thing about the global population of teachers, specifically um, English language and ideally English trained yeah. or British trained mm -hmm. teachers. And this huge tension between this vast and exploding demand, yes. um, which has obviously followed the vast and exploding demand in international schools, and the shortage of teachers um, around here. Yeah. Um, what are we going to do about it, Liz? Well, it's epic. <laughs> this is, I, I, I spend my life, this is what I do on a Saturday night, is I trawl through the data. Um, that I find this absolutely fascinating, that we're seeing, we're seeing you know, British education is one of our greatest exports, and we should be really sure. proud of it. Sure. And uh, I'm really excited about the prospect of what we can do with the quality of our teachers and the strength of aspects of our curriculum interwoven with an international outlook. I think yeah. there's an opportunity to be truly global, globally leading um, in terms of our practice. This is predicated, of course, on having British qualified teachers. And at, at the moment, we've got about 550,000 teachers work internationally. Most of those have been qualified um, in one of the four main countries that we tend to recruit from, uh, internationally, not just British schools, all international Which schools. Are... So you're looking at the UK, Ireland, USA and Australia. Mm -hmm. Those are the big four. And when we look at those countries, at the moment, there's about four and a half million teachers in those countries. By 2029, we're expecting the international demand for teachers to be one million teachers. So that means one in four teachers from those countries yeah. every year has got to be working internationally to service the demand. I mean, it doesn't take a genius. It's not going to work. And if we think about British teachers specifically, there's currently in the UK just over 500,000 British yep. qualified teachers. Sure. Well, Nothing in England, actually. It's about 600,000. Okay, brilliant. So, so there so we go. We've got Scotland and Northern Ireland. Well, I'd, yeah, I'm Welsh, so we need to put the others in I'm as Welsh. well. Yeah. <laughs> I'm half Welsh. Okay, we'll let you have Terrible. that. Terrible. <laughs> so, you know, if we're looking at that kind of figure, and then, you know, at the mo and when most, uh, when we, sorry, looking at curricula, we know that the fastest growing curriculum is not IB. And I, it's interesting, I thought it was. And then I was looking at some of the data from ISC, which you can get from them for free. And there it's still showing that IGCSEs, a-levels are the fastest growing examination group yep. still. And that, that's been consistent uh, for years, I now, I've now discovered. And so the demand for the British qualified is going to be exponential. Yeah. The demand for teachers is going to be exponential. Yep. And at the same time as we're seeing a domestic 
recruitment and retention crisis. Yeah, I mean, there's a push as well yeah. from the UK, which is the conditions that too many teachers are working under, right? Yeah. So there's a pull of yeah. this wonderful international education scene that yeah. you've been describing, and uh, and the push is saying, right. Yeah, and and then that whole idea of you know pushing them out, the push and pull yeah. factor, is. When we look at, so you can go to the COBIS website, which is the Council of British International Schools, and they publish every year, they publish the, um, they've got the biggest data set on British international teachers yeah. or teachers, British teachers working internationally. Yeah. Um, when we looked there, I spent some, some time looking at their last set of data. Uh, and when we were looking at, when I was looking through that, I, it was really clear that not only do most teachers that move internationally return within three years. Yep. Um, over 70% of them would have returned within 10 years. Yeah. But the most interesting thing, which um, I was able to I was do some data on, on this, is that if you go internationally, you will most likely end up back in the UK within 10 years, and you are more likely to still be teaching than if you'd stayed in the UK for the same duration of time. And, and I think that, what does that say? When, when, what does it say about the system here in the UK yeah. and what are we doing to our teachers? Especially early career teachers. Early career, exactly. And how are, we, how are we making sure that we keep brilliant teachers in the classroom and actually that we also support them to become great school leaders in the future? I also well, what see do you think? Why do you think that is? What, why is it? What are we doing wrong well, in, in England? I, I, think, I think the difference is, is when you go onto the international um, circuit, for many teachers, and again, the data supports this, is that they're free to teach. Yeah. Truly free yeah. to teach. And why do we become teachers in the first place? Whenever you ask a teacher that question, they usually say because they want to make a difference. That's what, what drove them. They I want to be paid true. fairly. You know, they, they want to have you know, a life outside work yeah, as well. Yeah, but they, they, want, they want to make a difference and they want to do something and, and that there's an investment of self yeah. in that process. I completely agree. And so I think on the international circuit that, that in a, you're more enabled to do that because the focus is teaching and learning. We're held yeah. to account by our parents. Yeah. You know, our parents are paying school fees or the companies or the embassies that they're working for are paying the school fees and increasingly we're seeing more than ever before that actually when I mentioned kind of companies it's that in the past it often used to be kind of the expat community um, that would be paying the school fees you know the companies that kind of thing yep. but that's changing as well the fastest growing group are actually self-paying self-funding um, yep. families yeah local families yeah local families yep. and so there's a real demand and interest in how in in international provision and so that's what I think is the biggest difference is that you can do what you set out to do in the first place and I think what then happens when they when those teachers are international is that they develop a confidence around their own craft that when they come back to the UK they don't put up with some of the nonsense yeah. that perhaps in the past they'd accepted because they felt they had to they know that there's no need to do Certain box-ticking yeah. exercises. Yeah, yeah. And, and to be confident enough, because it is, you know, if you're an early career teacher, you uh, respect and, and the people around you and you want to do a great job. Yeah. And if someone's telling you, you've got to do this with 10 different coloured pens or you've got to do, you know, you've got to mark every single piece of work yeah. or whatever, whatever it is, it doesn't really matter, um, so then, you know, we're, we're doing a disservice. The flip side, of course, mm -hmm. it, it is that we don't know, I mean, teachers don't know, coming from Australia or America mm -hmm. or even necessarily what they're getting into yes they, you know so some schools yes. many schools are wonderful internationally yes, and do amazing true. work and creative and they're accredited yes. and uh but there are still a few um let's be honest cowboys out there yeah there are, there uh, are many cowboys out there <laughs> yes absolutely <laughs> um 
So what would you advise a teacher or a school leader who's thinking about travelling abroad from Australia yes. or, or elsewhere? Um, what would you advise them to do in terms of thinking about the kind of school that they want to go and work at? Well, I'm glad you've just asked me that because I've just written a chapter for the new Women Ed book on this very subject. <laughs> that was <How> smooth, <laughs> smooth. <laughs> anyway, but that was that's actually the, the essence of that yeah. that chapter is is how do you know? You know, what are you yeah. looking for? So the 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 quick things to look for are. I see if they're accredited. We know over 30% are. Yep. Most high-quality British international schools will be accredited to an organisation. Check out the BSO reports, that's the um, British uh, schools overseas and the standards. You can look at their reports and you can go to places like ISI, Penta. Um, so those are Ofsted recognised inspectorates. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you can look at the international schools there. The schools that are on there, that's usually a pretty sure bet um, that they are, uh, they might not be perfect. In fact, I've never been to a perfect school, no, sure but they're on the right lines. <laughs> um, check out things like, which you would never really think about as, a, as a, uh, a domestic teacher, is you look at your contracts. Make sure that you get full repatriation at the end of your contract. Okay. Know your contract terms. Know your, um, when you're looking at your salaries, don't just look at your salary, look at your package yep. and know your take home cash at the end of that period take into account pension in Europe you you often get pensions as an international school teacher if you're in the Middle East and Asia you often don't so you have to look at what is the percentage of contribution towards your pension make sure that that's in your salary Mm -hmm. now my colleagues international school leaders out there are not going to like what I'm going to say next but I'm going to say it anyway is negotiate negotiate your full package and you will often find that there can be aspects around that so it could be your accommodation allowance if you get that and again if you get an accommodation allowance get everything in writing (laughs) also find out the annual increases you know because if you end up staying in a school four or five years and you always end up with i don't know uh two thousand us dollars a month um, and it stays at two thousand US dollars a month. That's a problem. So really, do your homework about what it means. I'd say use TES as well. I know you're not oh. allowed to mention individual schools on the forums, um, yeah. but use the forums. There's loads of international school teachers there yeah. that can help you understand what what it's like. So if you're looking at going to Singapore, um, there'll be people who can tell you what's the real cost of living in Singapore right now. You yeah. know how much does it cost for the stuff that you're interested in. Very long answer to your question. No, but it's very useful, <laughs> and I, and I think people need to listen to need to hear this stuff because, as I say, there's a lot of push and there's yeah. a lot of pull, um, but you do hear kind of nightmare stories. Yes, and, and I think it's really useful, and I'm very pleased that there are organisations like yours and, and all the others now actually trying to put a structure in place around this, so um, the whole thing is being professionalised. Yes. Um, so you're optimistic generally about um, the professionalisation of international education? Uh, I'm more than optimistic. I'm off the charts excited. <laughs> Honestly, I can't tell you. Um, you know, hashtag global profession is what I use quite a lot. Uh, I think the opportunity now is greater than it's ever been before. So I mean, we, we were just discussing earlier, before we started the, the podcast, we were talking about the idea of, of a global profession yeah. and how amazing that, that if you train in the UK, you can go anywhere in the world. You know, yep. you don't have to give up your career. You don't have to think I'm going for a year or two traveling and I've got to stop everything. You can keep going and you could do that for a couple of years and then go back to the UK and settle. There's, we often have um, teachers who've had uh, children who kind of grow, grown up, fled the nest. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, that's an opportunity well, as well. Yeah. yeah, do a couple of years, you know, make sure again, look at your financial sustainability around property and things. Make sure you keep all that, you know, solid and go off and have fun and have an amazing experience experience 
get paid well for yeah. doing so, uh, it's a win-win. And that, that's kind of from the lifestyle perspective. From the um, uh, pedagogy and practice side of things, I genuinely think that the, the way that some of the uh, international school groups and uh, high-performing international schools are working is that they really are doing, almost like what we saw in Singapore, you yeah. know, where there you've got, what, 120-odd schools in Singapore. You know, they looked out across the world about what everybody else was doing and then came back to their setting and what would work for them and then have trialled and trialled and trialled to then get towards a high-performing system. I think in the international sector, we're now primed and ready to do that. We're not following British practice, yeah. we're building on British practice. What a great way to put it. Yes, <laughs> come on Ed, that was good. Lynn, <laughs> thank you so much for coming in and joining us. All right, thank you. I hope our listeners enjoyed it. And thank you very much for listening.